Hello there, I'm Dr. Hacky Reitman, and you're listening to Exploring Different Brains. Welcome to another edition of Exploring Different Brains. And uh, we're talking with Kerry Bowers and Taylor Cross here. Now, what they did was they made this movie, Normal People Scare Me, and then they made the sequel, Normal People Scare Me Too. Kerry's also one of the founders of the Art of Autism. And hello, Kerry and Taylor. Welcome. How are you? Hello. We're doing great, Hacky. Thanks. Doing fantastic. Well, that's great. Now, Taylor, why don't you start off and introduce introduce yourself to our audience here? Well, my name is Taylor Cross, and um, I made Normal People Scare Me 1 and 2. Right. What else do you do? Um, currently, I'm a student at uh, community college under communications. And what do you take? You're taking communications there, huh? Mm-hmm. You like I didn't have journalism for what I wanted, so communications is the next best thing. And what about you, Kerry? What are you up to? Wow, what am I up to? What am I not up to? That's it. Um, we're um, actually through the um, art of autism. We're taking a road trip from San Diego up the coast to Sacramento, back down the coast, giving um, Art of Autism Hearts and Arts Awards to quiet heroes in autism and the arts, and stopping in eight places and doing four screenings, um, the first screenings ever of Normal People Scare Me Too. Wow. Now, um, when you set up a screening, how does all that get done? Tell our audience how that gets done. There's a couple of ways to do it. The first way is that some a, a, a college, an organization, buys the film, and then as long as they're not charging at the door, they can do their own. I give a free license to screen the film. Right. So all they have to pay for is buying the film, but we don't come with it. The uh, other way to go is that they decide to charge at the door, and then we take a percentage of what they get at the door. The third way, which is the preferable way, what do we do, Taylor? We both go and then uh, present at the door. Yeah, we get on an airplane um, and we fly all around the world. This is the, the model that we used with Normal People Scare Me, you know, 10 years ago and eight years ago. We show up and we do an audience Q&A and breakout sessions on everything from transitions planning to um, social skill development, to how to utilize the arts to grow skills in autism and other disabilities. Well, how did you guys get into this? That's your story, Taylor. Um, I think we kind of fell into it by accident, where a lot of the stories that do come from uh, how normal people scare me was ultimately formed, um, they just sort of were happy coincidences. Well, what, what happened when you were just about to turn 15 years old? Oh, with that, um, it was a social skills group. Tried to pay money for uh, to getting toys for, you know, those with battered women and other families. And, and I wanted to pay this year. Well, Taylor, I had put Taylor into um, community service when he was eight years old as a way to help him with social skills. It was free social skills. I highly recommend that to people today because you must interact and you also must think about others when doing community service. And through the years, he did more and more toward the, um, the actualization of community giving. So when he was 14 and he perseverated on film, um, he came to me and said, Mom, this year I want to pay for the gifts for myself. How can I earn some money? And do you remember, um, I said, what did I say? <laughs> Do you remember? And you can clean the swimming pool. And you can clean the swimming pool. And what did you say? It's like, I don't know. That was, uh, I want to make some films and sell them. That's what he said. But that was after he went, ah, I don't think so. Yeah, I was acting very auteurish there. Well, he was acting typically teenager. I loved it. I mean, when he just gave me that. So um, people who know me think I immediately said, yeah, let's go make a film, because my background is in entertainment law. I was a paralegal with Motley Crue, Kiss, Blind Melon. Of course I would say yes, right? Now, I gave him every reason why he, at almost 15 years old, could not make a film. You're too young. You haven't gone to film school. We don't have money. It's just not done that way in Hollywood. And we were in the car, and I looked at my son, and I saw him looking at me, believing everything I said to him. 
And through my brain, it went do 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 do, and they said, you might never walk or talk. And I looked at them and I said, Taylor, everything I said is a lie. And that is totally true. You can make a film. I don't know how to do it, but I'll help you. We're going to do it. Doesn't and, matter how we're going to do it, but we're going to do it. And so, you know, Hacky, when, when we put out an intention into the universe, the universe responds. So we, that night he came to me and said, I want to call it. Normal people scare me. And how did you come up with that, Taylor? Oh, I saw it on a shirt. I saw it on a t-shirt. So we had a title, and a week later we met Joey Travolta, who agreed to become Taylor's mentor to make a short student film, which won quite a few awards at the Ultimate Student Film Festival, which picked up media, which turned into um, um, us actually engaging Joey to create the feature film, which became, you know, People Magazine, Scholastic Magazine, The Today Show, Geraldo, all that later became sort of a first of its kind for an autistic to interview 65 people with autism to create a film about autism for people with autism. That's just great. That's what's got to happen more and more. That's got to happen more and more. Now, um, what do you consider your skill sets, Taylor? Like, what do you feel like you're good at? You know, that's a really difficult question for me to answer. Um, I've been doing a lot of uh, that, asking that myself recently, especially within the last month or so. Um, I view myself as someone who's actually naturally talented at giving a decent enough interview um, and learning how to prepare for it. Uh, let's see, what else am I pretty good at? Um, I'm also very good at being, you know, on point when I am required to be. All right, now let me, let me ask you this, Taylor, if I might. Um, let's say before this interview, I just met you on this interview. How would I know that you're autistic? Because I can't tell talking to you now. Like, what do you think would be the pickups for me? Like how I would tell that you're an autistic individual. That's a very interesting question. I've never really been asked that before. Um, it would be very difficult. Probably because I've had a lot of extensive uh, social skills training and a lot of um, life experience, as it were into how to interact with others on a more normal basis. Uh, how old are you? I'm 27. 27, okay. Can I share something on that point, Hacky? Yes. Um, sit, sitting with us today is James. James, um, you can't see him on camera, but he works with Taylor. And um, Taylor has had significant supports through his life, a lot through the arts to help develop his social skills. James is actually on the spectrum, autism spectrum himself, and they're the same age. So what we're discovering through the eyes of a support staff person are the ways in which Taylor's autism appears invisible to the average observer, but the ways in which Taylor has more quiet uh, challenges. So they're not perceptible other than maybe some unusual mannerisms or a delayed ability to maybe connect with um, certain subject matters beyond the first give or take. I have an alternate theory. Okay. <laughs> Which, having never met Taylor before and being ignorant, I'm at liberty to say because I don't know the whole story. You know, it's, like, it's like you guys have been living the video or the movie, and I'm just seeing a Polaroid snapshot in a way, you know what I mean? I'm just seeing one point on the graph. But uh, <clears throat> as I've gotten more into neurodiversity, I believe we all have a degree of neuroplasticity, which means our brains rewire themselves according Absolutely. to many different factors. Some of it's behavioral training, social training, 
Some of it's what we eat, some of it's genes, some of it, you know, it's like all of the above. So that I would dare say if we took, name your test, MRI, PETA scan, whatever, of my brain or Taylor's brain now, it would be significantly different from like uh, 10 years ago or whatever, you know? And the pathways are there now that may not have been there before. Oh, absolutely. And I'm, um, a very, I'm very intrigued by neuroplasticity. Um, this last year, I co-authored a book, um, Autism Movement Therapy, Waking Up the Brain. And the entire premise of this book is how the, the brain is malleable beyond what science used to think. They used to think it was more fixed. Now we're seeing that through things like movement, through, um, there's something I was talking today with Taylor's, um, with James, Taylor's staff about, um, I call it rapid fire improvisation. It's something where we, we start to focus on ideas and values and, and, and rapidly talk about like a random item, but draw that into a story. So um, it, in this way, we're actually like waking up the brain so that we're connecting neuro, um, the neurons to a better way to, do, to present output, to create more fixed, uh, what I think of as cellular memory, things that, are, that we begin through repetition that our, our body, our natural reflexes and our brain remembers. And so Taylor's brain now through all the different crazy stuff that I've done with him over the years and the things he's done himself has definitely, definitely um, expanded. And then the, the memory helps him to function much, much more proficiently in his life. Mm -hmm. I would completely agree with that. Sorry for being a little disconnected there for a second. Um, <laughs> One of the things that I did with Taylor from a very young age, because, um, you know, we got autism before it was front page news, before the internet. And so there was no group for moms with kids that were unusual, quirky, different. As an artist, I'd, I would film him or take pictures of him. And when he had no language and little language, which developed, you know, through time in his early years, and he couldn't speak to me, and I didn't know what he understood. I would say, what does Taylor see? Which is very different than me telling Taylor, this is what I see. Taylor, you're not making eye contact. Um, Taylor, you're not responding. Taylor, you're not understanding. I would show him and say, what does Taylor see? Is Taylor happy? Is Taylor sad? So a lot of these um, approaches that I took were giving Taylor the responsibility for Taylor as opposed to me just telling him what he needed to do, what he needed to perceive, or what he needed to connect with in the world. So a lot of that became early on on him to interpret for himself. Taylor, what role do you think that uh, you know, creativity has to play in your direction that you're going? Like you consider yourself a creative person? Short story? Yes. Long story, I would say it's been a very, um, a very uh, varied amount of a combination between uh, social skills, general life experiences, the fact that I have a mom whose personality as an artist kind of comes into play. There's all sorts of factors that just come into, uh, come into it. It's not just, you know, one thing. Does that make any sense? Yes, it does. Now, um, you know, I can just repeat to you what one, my mentor for many, many years, uh, Tim Van Patten, who is the executive producer and director of Sopranos and Boardwalk Empire and a lot of other stuff. He would say to me, he'd say, Hacky, no matter what anyone ever tells you, if you have a good story with good characters, with good execution, which is hard, It'll make it. It doesn't matter what the medium or what the venue. Don't let anyone discourage you. Do you feel that way about your your filmmaking and your creative uh, efforts? Yes. Yes, I do. Um, 
now my medium is a little different, but yeah, I do feel that execution is important and everything else that is tied to it is very important. Now, how are your writing skills? When I say writing, I don't mean, I don't mean how the idea gets for formulated, but how would you consider your writing skills? In other words, creating a story. Hmm. In that case, I'm probably not that bad. I see a lot of, uh, and read a lot of fiction, so I have a pretty good understanding of what makes and doesn't make a good character. Nice, you know, because a lot of times people think that writing means you have to either sit down at the computer or you have to handwrite or, or dictate or anything. And a lot of times when you collaborate, it's just, uh, you know, having fun talking about different things and brainstorming, and then somebody puts it down on a piece of paper. And I think too many people get caught up in the, uh, you know, the formatting of screenwriting and final draft and everything has to be just so, as opposed to just tell the story. And you guys have a terrific story. You know, you have a wonderful story that you're, uh, you're articulating and, and uh, telling. What would you say is the biggest difference other than the time chronology between normal people scare me and normal people scare me too? I would have to say that tonally it's just a little bit different. It's a little, the, uh, the first one is a little bit of a smoother experience while the, uh, the sequel itself is a little sharper. You know, and it's got more of a bite to it. Would you agree with that one, Mom? Considering you were there for both of them? I, I definitely see your point, but there are other things that really jump out at me um, as far as where the story has changed. We do ask, Taylor asks them that we wrote it together, the script. We do ask many of the same questions, but here's where it takes a sharp turn for me. The first film 10 years ago, we knew what we knew. You know, um, Neurotypicals made the film to support an autistic, interviewing autistics about a film about autism for autistics. This time around, um, through the years, Joey Travolta created inclusion films. He used to teach practical filmmaking to kids, you know, rich kids in a, you know, LA community. Now he teaches exclusively to people on the autism spectrum and other disabilities, the, the craft of filmmaking. So um, we're really pleased to say that we have like 75% of our film crew is on the autism spectrum. Our assistant editor is on the autism spectrum. In the film, we have 65 to 70% of the music that's composed and performed is created by people with autism and nearly 100% of the art or the animation is created by people with autism. And then lastly, we're, we invited back cast from 10 years ago that's now grown up and, mm -hmm. and, and gone on to, like yourself, you know, through many different experiences in a decade. And so this film is more authentically in its very fiber. Um, connected with the very movement in autism that we want to see today, and that is futures. So this is a much more futuristic, um, inclusive film, whereas the first one was, you know, just uncharted territory. All right, Taylor, so we can inspire some of the people watching this. Talk to us a bit about your diagnosis and your progression as you see it, so that we can inspire other people whose brains might be a little bit different, no matter what their uh, labels might be. I, I happen to think labels are a lousy way to describe a unique human being, but sometimes they serve a purpose. And uh, do you mind talking about your diagnoses and progression? Well, I do not remember uh, much about my own diagnosis session because it was all the way back in 1996, and I was like... 94. Or, okay, 94. And I was like six years old at the time. So I really don't remember very much about it. I will tell you this about, you know, my progression. 
I started out not in a dark place, but I definitely started out being, you know, somewhat ashamed of it. But over time, what has sort of happened is it's really gotten to the point where I, I just don't care anymore about the perception. Um, you know, if people, you know, will call me out on it and talk to and want to talk to me about it, I really am not too uh, too ashamed to get in front of a camera and physically speak about autism. But I'm not, you know. I don't have that negative feeling that comes with it. Does that make any sense? It does, and it's something we're trying to do. See, I want to get the next president of the United States, whoever that might be, to wear a T-shirt that says, my brain is different. Because if you start adding up all these different labels, the so-called neurotypical is in the minority now uh, just because of math mathematics, if you add everything up. I think that it's kind of like almost like being gay 50 years ago. It's just easier to stay in the closet. You know, we graduated three Aspie interns last summer, all great people, all going to college, all have great futures. Not one of them is going to ask for the accommodations they would, that would make their life so much easier in college because they don't want to be stigmatized. So they don't want to ask for the take the exam in a quiet area or get a little bit more time on the test or, or something, which is silly. You know, it's kind of like if you're, if you're blind, you know, it's not going to do any good if somebody's writing on the blackboard. And if you're deaf, it doesn't do any good if somebody's screaming at you. It doesn't mean you're stupid or anything. And <clears throat> I just think we should all chill with that and just be comfortable with who we are same as we get comfortable if we're tall or short or, or young or old. You're young and I'm old, Taylor. That's what's happening here. Yeah, though the positions will, well, they won't be reversed, but pretty soon I'll be where you're at. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. probably so. I think it's amazing what you just said. I, I, I completely agree. And I have watched Taylor struggle throughout his life with his um, in inability um, to ask for help. And because Taylor is, I call him a tweenie. Those are people on the spectrum who, there's not that sort of aha moment because something is so obvious. And there's not that so-called, this is a quote unquote normal you know, kid or individual, he was sort of in, in the middle, in between. So it's like the invisible part of the autism spectrum. So when he didn't ask for help, if I had a dime for every time somebody, a teacher, an administrator, um, a coordinator, you know, through his services said, well, if Taylor would just, if Taylor, if you would just organize him, um, if I had a dime for that, gosh, I'd have a Starbucks card for years worth of coffee um, because Taylor did not have the ability for whatever reason to ask for those accommodations hacky um, he he whether whether it was not knowing he had that resource fully understanding that whether it was shame well as well it's not but it's not only the tailors of the world it's the we parents of the world with all of our great inventions and everything my daughter Rebecca who has a discrete math degree from Georgia Tech, is now 33. She's tutoring in an after-school program, people with Asperger's and autism. She's going for a master's in applied psychology. She's chosen to live at a place where she gets her own apartment, she gets some coaching, she gets transportation for the disabled because she doesn't drive, and she's fine with it. She's fine with it. Uh, but. You know, like when she goes to uh, the university and is in a group project, she doesn't want to tell everybody else there, hey, I have Asperger's, you know, or even I don't drive or whatever, you know. And it's, Can, it, it shouldn't be that way. It should just be comfortable, you know. I'd love to give a strategy here. Um, when Taylor was three years old and got on the first little yellow school bus to go to his seriously emotionally disturbed class, that's what they called it at the time, SED. Um, I remember that bus, that little yellow bus. That was really up. the name? That was the name of it?
Oh, it was called Seriously Emotionally Disturbed. That was his very first um, class in Los Angeles Unified School District when he was three. And we didn't have the autism diagnosis yet. Mm -hmm. So he got on that little yellow school bus and it drove down the street and I was crying. I mean, I had tears in my eyes thinking, oh my God, what is the big bad world gonna do? It's gonna swallow up my innocent kid. That day, I wrote in my head, and eventually it would be written on paper, um, a mission statement for Taylor. I decided to treat Taylor as if he were the beginning of me starting a corporation or a business, where we write a mission statement, which is our, our overall, um, what we want, our goal, what we stand for. So I wrote that for Taylor, and that became the guiding principle to every IEP, IPP, MTP, any P that we could pee on, that, that, that became the guiding principle to what we wanted. And therefore in meetings or with, with teachers, what have you, it supported me to know what to ask for because I knew where I wanted to go with Taylor. Um, with that, I will tell you that his first written goal when I first wrote down the mission statement was Taylor will live as independently in his community as an adult as possible and to be supported by and surrounded by people who love and support him. And we are today sitting in Taylor's own apartment. Nice. That's yeah, it's not my mom's apartment and she just happens to rent it out to me. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I came to visit my son today for this interview in his apartment. Now, when he was eight years old, was I sure that he would live independently in his community and be supported by people he loves? No, but that's what I, that's what my mission became. And so that supported me when an IEP team or another team or a teacher would say, well, we think this, I knew that didn't match with where I believed Taylor could go. And as he got older, each year I would revisit that mission and change it and modify it to meet the needs of where he was at and what he had grown through and where we had issues to overcome so that that mission would always be the guiding principle to asking for the support that I felt that we needed as opposed to the support that they wanted to impose, if you will, upon us. And then lastly, I think, Taylor, is it fair to say that now that you revisited college, by the way, after years of of, of a lack of success in college, Taylor finally went back that today you're ask, you're learning how to ask for more help. Is that, is that fair to say? That is fair to say. Um, I mean, I've got things that I'm lining up for college, even like as we were speaking, you know? Well, I, I think that I interpret that as meaning that what was once my mission for Taylor, is it fair to say that now you have your own mission? your own guiding principles for your life. Yes. Yes, it does. So that's the goal, I believe, for every individual, is that we as the families, the mothers, the fathers, the support, that while we, we move it forward during their, their you know, youth, um, their childhood, their youth, and growing into adulthood, that as they become older, they take on more responsibility for their own lives and their own dreams and their own desires. And somehow, with whatever creativity we can infuse, that they own, if you will, their own their own future. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, <clears throat> what was it like making a movie together, did that put your relationship strained or did it make it better or what happened with that? And was it different? <laughs> oh, you see, here's the thing. It definitely strained it a lot. Um, you see, it's like I'm having a really tough time uh, just being in the same room as her right now. No, I'm just kidding. It's actually <laughs> made it a lot better. It's both hacky. Yeah. It's both. Um, there were times Taylor just didn't want to do the work. Um, but like, and we're talking the first film, so he's now a teenager. I would say that honestly, in this case, that both part is just a lot everyday relationships. You know, it's, it's just how it is. If it was strained, like we wouldn't even be wanting to be in the same room right now at all. Well, I like 
like to think of both of my boys as people that not, of course I love them, that, that goes without saying, but I actually like both of my kids. Taylor's um, brother, Jace, the sandwich kid, we made a film about siblings, he and I did. Um, you know, I, th I feel like we, we, we go on trips together. We do things together that are like really fun and not just like, you know, family dinners, but we like to be with each other. Of course, we're not as together as much now that Taylor's an adult living farther away, but we, we like each other. But, but making the film, it definitely puts stress because there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of people involved. There's money involved in making a film. People, you know, plan for things. And when Taylor has had a hard time showing up, um, like any good parent, I say, hey, you wanted this. You made a, a, an agreement that you wanted to do it. So I get that you're having, you know, a struggle today or you're not really wanting to be here at this moment. Um, but is that acceptable to what you said you wanted? And what would, I mean, eventually you would do what? Um, just kind of agreeing. And then, well, I think if I remember correctly, I would start out arguing, but then, you know, ultimately I would just kind of agree and go, you know what, I kind of see the bigger picture here. That's exactly what you do. And, and, and with Normal People Scare Me Too, there was a point at which Taylor was kind of asking the question about where's the heart? What does this really mean to me? And I literally, 50 people in with interviews, we're ready to lock the film. Um, Taylor was like, you know, what's it all about? And I said, well, you need to go and you need to really search your soul because, you know, you committed to this, you wanted this, but I hear that you say, saying you need to find its heart. So I need you to get back with me on that. Um, and I sat with bated breath for quite a few days behind the scene waiting to see, was Taylor gonna, going to want to complete the project? Um, talk a little bit about how that felt for you and, and what happened. I've, I remember just feeling a disconnect from the project. Like it wasn't really mine. Um, and that I had uh, very little at stake. Um, and I felt that, you know, it was honestly time for me to be interested in other things and just try to move forward with my life. But then I had a moment where I was like, oh, yeah, this could really help me, you know, with my other goals, you know, the things that I really want to do right now, if that makes any sense. Well, not only does it make sense, but Hacky, you guys are the first, like on, on in this, you know, conversation we're having, this is the first time we're saying this publicly. So this is like the behind the scenes the um, not just individual personalities, um, desires, hopes, and dreams, but also autism is in there somewhere. You know, a lot of times in autism, people will have a desire, a goal, something they want over there, but over here, the process, the executive administrative skills to getting and reaching that goal are a huge challenge. Well, I think, but I think also superimposed on all of that, and I'm projecting a little bit here. I know when I, uh, you know, made the movie The Square Root of Two, starring Darby Stansfield from Scandal, it was inspired by a true story about my daughter, Rebecca. And at the time I made the movie, I knew Rebecca had 23 brain tumors and ADHD and some memory deficits, but she was doing well, and I didn't know she had Asperger's and autism, until after the movie was done, which was an inspirational movie, getting ready to release it, and Rebecca started tutoring students with Asperger's and autism in Atlanta, and the owner of the school met her for 10 minutes and said, hey, you know, Dr. Reitman, your daughter has Asperger's. And I said, what's that? Well, it's on the spectrum of autism. I said, what's that? And I, I held up release of the movie and I researched for a few years. And dummy that I am, it took me a couple of years to put it together. When I had my aha moment, I wrote Asper Tools, the practical guide to understanding and embracing Asperger's autism spectrum and neurodiversity. Because by that time, I knew that it was all about all our different brains. And to my surprise, HCI Books, who did Chicken Soup for the Soul, gave me a contract. But they said, look, Doc, one 
catch. You can't release your movie because you're confusing everybody. So I wasn't allowed. I released the book one year ago, and I just released the movie a few months ago, just online, very low-key kind of thing. But what I was getting at is in the reason that movie came out so good with such a nuanced performance of Someone on the Spectrum by Darby Stansfield was she didn't listen to the writer, producer, director. She studied Rebecca directly. They spent a lot of time together. And as a result, it was just a a terrific performance, which now, when I look at it in retrospect, I can pull down scenes that show the clueless parent and everything else. But why I was bringing that up was it is stressful for Rebecca to watch that film because it's about her and her brain, you know? And when she helped me write the book, the way the book Asper Tools is configured, there's a chapter by me, and then there'll be a box by Patty Fasano, who's a really good ESE teacher, who's like a mentor with Rebecca. And then there's the box by Rebecca, who says such things as, I know that's what my dad thinks, but he's all wrong. Here's how it really is, you know, kind of thing. So you have that clash of perspectives and you guys are making a movie together. And as cool as Taylor is, <clears throat> and as mature as he is about everything, it's, there's some kind of stress and anxiety there because it's about him, it's about his brain, it's about autism, and it's doing great things for so many others, I, I think. But I think that has to be a little bit of, you know, a little bit in there. And, and I, I, I thank you so much for sharing what you shared and about your daughter's perspective. Um, I would I would surmise or think or assume that Taylor would have very similar feelings, like, oh, gosh, there goes my mom, or that's what my mom thinks. Um, speak a little bit about that, because that's fascinating. Um, honestly, I think it's a different feeling entirely, because I'm a little more bashful of the film. You know, it's like I don't I don't mind it so much, and I actually don't think the information in and of itself is wrong. It's just you know kind of one of those things where you're kind of shy to admit it in front of other people. Well, and like Hacky said, it's about you, so yeah, that's that's the bashful feeling. Yeah, the bad. That's very well said, Taylor. The bashful feeling. Maybe that'll be the name of your next movie. That bashful feeling. You know. Um, I don't now, have anything negative against the uh, the information, and I don't think my mom is wrong because, in a lot of regards, she actually isn't. It's just that, you know, it's a personal shyness sort of sure. sort of deal. I, and if honestly I didn't feel that, I'd probably have most people questioning. Uh, oh, well, okay, why don't you feel anything about it? You know? Yeah, really, because that's. If you didn't have a special feeling about that, <clears throat> that would be that would be surprising to me. You know, that would be surprising to me uh, myself. But now, tell me, uh, tell me what it's like working with the whole Joey Travolta team with what he's put together. That's quite amazing and, and a happy uh, circumstance. Um, I was going to say this is probably more my mom's story because she has more to do with actually getting into touch with him than I do. But what about your experience in actually working? Like when you interview him or when he's on set and you're interviewing the cast, what do you feel about that interaction? Personally, I feel like he's definitely taken some inspiration from what we did with the first film. I mean, you know, inclusion of, well, Inclusion film should be, you know, enough of a uh, a signpost in terms of, uh, you know, what he's doing right now with uh, special needs individuals. Um, I was fascinated by um, Taylor's interactions with Joey this time around. Um, it was now an adult to an adult as opposed to an adult with a teenager. Um, and I am completely inspired by what Inclusion Films is doing. 
Um, I went to Bakersfield, where he has his main um, his main campus, if you will, to do a lot of editing on this film, where um, Taylor actually has been involved throughout the process of the interviews, but not the editing part. And I would walk into Inclusion Films, and he's got like 35 to 40 students every day, five days a week, with his staff doing practical film school. And I would go into the little, you know, off to another editing room, but walking in and out through that main um, classroom, if you will, in a big warehouse, and be floored by what I saw. I mean, we're talking 35 to 40 adults with autism and other disabilities not just learning the craft of filmmaking, but their philosophy is there as such that they were actually at one point doing like a, a meditation process with the students in order to help quiet anxieties and help them center themselves. So they blend a lot of incredibly creative processes into supporting building pragmatic films, you know, filmmaking skills. And so I, I'm just flabbergasted. And Joey's heart, um, talk about Joey's, like, who he is as a person, because I think that really is important to the overall, the global perspective and autism, the people who coach, who support, who teach, who are with our children and our adults on the spectrum, their personality has so much to do with the outcome. What do you think about Joey's personality? Well, I think what he has a tendency to do, and I think you'll completely agree with me on this, is that he has a tendency to really draw out the uh, the individual, regardless of uh, if they're a child, if they're an adult, if they're outgoing, if they're, you know, reclusive. It's all kinds of personalities, and he has this really innate ability, and I've seen it during the uh, the interviews, where he'll just pick up on something and then draw that out of the individual who's being interviewed at the time. And it's really interesting to see that, to see him just go, okay, um, well, how does that feel? You know, he asks, what is a good day for you? And that's actually a really good question. Yeah, absolutely. That's an example, you know? He, he's also like off the cuff, really funny and puts people at ease. And I think that carers, staff, educators could really take a lesson about looking at themselves and how do I present, you know, in my interactions with people, because he's so relaxed that, like Taylor said, you said that really nicely, he draws out the best in people. And so it was a real privilege. Um, in the film, people will get to know Joey at a completely different level than they did in the first film because he's taken on autism in the last decade at such a high vibration um, of his career choice. Um, and it's the, the interview between you and Joey, by the way, is so heartwarming and just really, really precious. And um, people will definitely laugh. People will, by the way, in the people will definitely cry. So I recommend that whoever's going to watch the film, they have a box of tissue. <laughs> Well, why don't you... Uh... The heartwarming and the legitimately sad stuff. Absolutely. Okay, so now what I'd like you to do is tell our audience how they find out more about the movie, how they find out more about you, how they see the movie. Give us all the information and uh, how they can see them. Well, first, how can we learn more about you, Taylor? How do they connect you to you? Well... You can just follow me on Facebook over at Taylor Cross. I mean, uh, Taylor Cross. It's under my regular name. How about Reddit? Um, on Reddit, my name is huh? That's a good one. On Reddit, my name is a TCRPG fan, and that is uh, hard to say because it's just a bunch of acronyms. Um, the same thing could be said about my current YouTube channel. Um, Okay. I don't do much on autism over there because that's a little bit more personal. But yeah, whatever. All right. And as for the film, um, uh, my uh, my website actually for normal films. That's actually how um, we sell the film is through my website is normalfilms.com, and the film can be ordered on on my website. And um, the film will also be. I have four distributors 
that um, I've hooked up for Taylor and I. And so it will go through, you know, major distribution channels. It'll eventually find its way as um, the other three films that we've made um, onto Netflix. Um, and um, also I can be followed on Twitter, on LinkedIn, on Facebook, using just my name. Mm -hmm. Okay, and <clears throat> why don't you repeat your name for everybody? My name is Taylor Cross. And I'm in the middle of post-production for Normal People Scare Me Too. And actually, no, the film, it just wrapped. Just wrapped. That's why I said post-production. Ah, okay. Yeah, he's good. He got you there. <laughs> um, and I'm Carrie Bowers, K-E-R-I-B-O-W-E-R-S. <laughs> and why don't you just say a quick word about uh, the art of autism, which, which you co-founded. Uh, yeah, the art of autism has been around now for going on its sixth year. We just incorporated as a 501c3 nonprofit. Uh, my partner, um, co-collaborator and co-creator, Deborah Musicar, also has a son with autism. They can be seen in Normal People Scare Me Too. Kevin is in his early 20s and is a brilliant painter. Where Taylor's thing was filmed, Kevin's, in fact, the piece behind us is called Railroad Tracks. That's a Kevin Hosseini. And so both of our sons inspired us as mothers to create the Art of Autism, which is a collaborative that represents over 500 artists with autism or autistic artists around the world. Um, um, artists to have a showcase, a place to share their art, their poetry, um, blogging, we encourage, we highly encourage people who love to write, to blog on um, situational whatever, as long as it ties somehow to the art. I mean, you can actually take your perseveration of putting things together and taking them apart and make it about the arts, the art of tinkering with stuff. Um, and so we support a, place, a space and a place for autistic artists and poets and writers to come together to share what they have to share with the world. Taylor, what can you tell somebody who's watching this, whose brain might be a little bit different, what's one thing you'd like to share with them to encourage them on their path? Try to figure out what you really want to do with yourself. That takes a lot of time but I also feel that, you know, for some people it's more difficult than others. And if you're able to figure out what you really want to do, what you really like, then it becomes much easier to accept those aspects of yourself, or at least tolerate, you know, those parts that are a little bit difficult for most normal people. I see that a lot, so that's where I'm getting it from. Well, that's great. And Carrie, what can you say to the parents out there who might have, a, might have somebody in their family whose brain is a little bit different? What's one thing you can tell them? Um. I would say that we have to find out where does, we have to live and venture into the world, if you will, of our children and not require demand that they come into our world. So what is your kid good at? What do they migrate towards? And I'm not talking about just verbal or, you know, people on the spectrum with, um, let's just say, fewer challenges than those that are tremendously impacted or challenged. I'm saying nonverbal from all the way up the spectrum. Every individual has something that they're drawn toward. In my case, I believe um, that, that whether it's one person might love music, but not like painting. One person might like um, horseback riding, but not like, you know, another form of arts or football, as in the case of Taylor's support staff here. He loves football. Find what they love and then that's where you teach them. That's the baseline. The present level of performance, if you will, becomes the baseline for how we can teach, whether it's social skills, reading, writing, arithmetic. You take what they love and you go into their world 
to bring the rest of the pragmatic skills that we need to, you know, move up the ability chart, if you will, um, by venturing and finding what is loved and then creating from that momentum for learning, growth, and development. Well, that's why I said um, during my question, really question whether you really want to be there or not, because there are some cases where, yes, they may be obsessed with, you know, painting, but they also, you know, may like painting only as like a side thing, as a hobby, and their, their real main interest is this. Very, very important. That's very important. Boy, we could do a whole show on that. But I also want to say, though, that, you know, what I've learned over the years is that while we also That's want to go into that space and into that place and draw out learning opportunities, at the same time, as parents, we need to also put boundaries around things. And so we need to find a way to to bring out the best while also giving natural consequences, natural rewards within the environment of just raising kids. Autism is a reason, it's never an excuse. And, and I know that might sound crazy to some people. It's a reason things are hard. It's a reason we have behavioral issues. What we need to do is to not use that as an excuse to not move forward or to say, oh, my kid will never achieve this or never do that. We need to just simply say, okay, here's the problem. Now let me try and figure out the paths or the inroads with loving boundaries and expectations and expectations, but with love and consideration and that's, I think, also very important. It's not, in other words, it's not just about the arts or creativity or um, completely l letting things unroll, like free-range parenting. I think that's what they call it these days. You know, it, that's not practical. Kids need to learn how to be safe. They need to learn how to, you know, whether it's initially picking up their dish from the table and taking it to the sink, or you know, and then migrating from there outward. So we. We have to both have expectations, but also live into the present level of, of ability. Well, we're, we're awfully happy to have both of you here, and it's been great and educational. And both of you have been very inspirational today, and I want to thank you both very much. Thank you. Well, we'll be in touch again. We've been talking to Kerry Bowers and Taylor Cross, and their movies are... Normal people scare me, and normal people scare me too. For more information, visit us at differentbrains.com.